Good morning, brothers and sisters. Um, grateful for the invitation to be here today. Uh, my family's only been in the area for a few months now, and so uh, after the service, if you want to uh, share your wisdom about the best places to eat or to take kids, we would gladly take that. Um, it's also an encouragement for me to be here today uh, because from everything I know, you guys are a, a Bible-preaching, gospel-believing church. And it's always a good reminder for me to come to other churches and uh, to be reminded of how God is at work in, in both other congregations uh, locally and globally. It's always like, it always brings like great encouragement to my heart. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting chat with, with some of you guys after. Um, and already, I've already enjoyed just worshiping and singing songs with you all. Um, it's, it's a reminder to me when I come to places like this, other, other congregations, that, that God, he's at work all over the world in this, this dark world, walking through uh, weak vessels like you, you and me. Um, so my, my prayer today is that uh, I, might, I might be able to be an encouragement to you to be salt and light here in La Plata and the, the surrounding area. Well, you've already heard about me that I'm from New York, from Poughkeepsie. And because of that, uh, that, that means my favorite baseball team is the New York Yankees. Oh, we got some, we got some whoops here. Probably got some hate going on out here as well. Uh, that's all right. Uh, well, the, the Yankees were especially good during the late 1990s and the early 2000s. And, and their biggest rival was the Boston Red Sox. They were a, they were a great team. And they would often clash in the, in the regular season and the playoffs. You'd, uh, just, just, they played nasty against each other. The, the pitcher on the Red Sox that I dreaded the most was the all-star and probably, I think, future Hall of Famer, Pedro Martinez. He's just a small guy, but he, he threw the ball hard, like 98 miles per hour and like amazing off-speed stuff. He also had this amazing control of the, of the strike zone. He just paint the corner, catch you looking every single time. Not only that, but he, he didn't have any fear of the Yankees. He loved to take them head on and challenge their, their best hitters in the hardest circumstances. So because of that, I, I both respected and dreaded him. As we come to today's passage in Matthew, we're, we're going to see uh, the Pharisees basically bringing out one of their top arms to try to, to take out Jesus. Jesus, who's proven to be a very tough out. So today we're going we're gonna to be reading from uh, Matthew uh, chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. If you haven't turned there already, please do so. My main idea for the passage is that loving God and loving neighbor are the weightiest of God's commands. Loving God and loving neighbor are the weightiest of God's commands. Let's turn there, Matthew 22. Um, I actually will start a little bit before that, just for the sake of context. Uh, I'll start in verse 23. So Matthew 22, starting in verse 23. And uh, I'm going to read the passage and then pray. I'm going to read from the CSB, since you guys uh, you use the CSB, which my wife uses as well. Um, but, uh, and I'll, I'll read from there in Deuteronomy as well, but a little bit later, but you'll probably hear that I'm using the ESV in other parts because that's what I normally use. So, all right, so let's, let's read the passage, uh, starting uh, Matthew 22, starting verse 23. 
says, that same day, some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came up to him, him being Jesus, and questioned him. Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies, having no children, his brother is to marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first got married and died, having no offspring. He left his wife to his brother. The same, the same thing happened to the second also, and the third, and so on to all seven. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, then, whose wife will she be of the seven? For they all had married her. Jesus answered them, You are mistaken, because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection, they will neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now concerning the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to them, to him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, just thank you so much for uh, another Sunday, another time to come together um, to worship you, to praise you, to hear your word taught. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts to change us by your word. We pray that you would change our lives through our conversations together this morning, through our encouragement. And we pray, Lord, that as I preach this morning, that you'd help me, that you'd strengthen me. And Lord, all those things that, that ring true according to what your word says, that they would uh, be implanted in our hearts. Lord, that they would bear good fruit in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would take away all hardness of heart this morning, all distractions, all the, the burdens of this past week that come upon us, um, the, the anxious thoughts, the, um, the, the, sad, the sad things that, are, are, that we carry with us, even the things that uh, distract us, that keep us busy. Lord, help us to focus now. Help us to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So to help you follow me today, uh, here's my outline of the passage. Verses 34 to 36, I've labeled as the expert's question. Verses 37 to 38 is labeled as loving God. Verse 39 as loving neighbor. And then verse 40 as Jesus' summary statement. So, of course, before we jump into here, I need to give you a little background. Um, so, a few pages back in chapter 21 of Matthew, we see he, Jesus, he's entering Jerusalem. He's welcomed like a king before the crowds. Uh, people are calling him son of David, this term loaded with messianic expectation. They're, they're expecting him to be that, that king who's been promised of old. They're also hailing him as a prophet. All of his miraculous works, all of his wonderful teachings had already proven this. And when we see the crowds welcoming of Jesus, this 
they become jealous, they're upset. The, the relig Jewish religious leaders don't like seeing what, what's going on. And from the beginning of Matthew chapter 21 until the passage we'll look at today, we see this constant conflict and friction between these groups. The religious leaders, they challenge Jesus. They, they plot against him. They want to arrest him. But they don't because they're, they're fearing the people because the people are recognizing him as, rightly as a prophet. And Jesus, he, he responds to the religious leaders with questions and parables that continually stump and anger his opponents. He's proven to be both wise and tactful in, in these, all these back-and-forth situations. He's shown that he knows the scriptures better than any of these experts of the law, hands down. Now today we come to today's passage. The setting is not told to us here, but given that we know that they're already in Jerusalem, we can assume that they're likely in the temple courts, where we would not just see the religious leaders there, we're going to see everyone who's come for the, the great feasts, all the common folk coming from throughout, throughout Judea. In the previous verses, verses 23 to 33, we learn that Jesus, he's questioned by one group of Jew Jewish religious leaders called the Sadducees. They're distinct in that they only taught from the first five books of the, the Bible, uh, Genesis to Deuteronomy, and they don't believe in the resurrection from the dead. And now we look at today's passage, verses 34 to 36, where Jesus receives an expert's question. In verse 34, we learn that Jesus, he, Jesus' answers to the Sadducees were so profound that they completely silenced his opponents. Their best efforts had failed to make him look bad. The Pharisees, they hear about this failure, and they come together as a group. The Pharisees are just another group of Jewish religious leaders. They were greater in number than the Sadducees, and they were more popular among the people. This group is also the one that, that Jesus, he has the most conflict with throughout his ministry on earth. The Pharisees, they, they argue with Jesus about God's law throughout his ministry, and Jesus repeatedly condemns them for their, their poor interpretations and their hypocritical lives. Though Jesus is often seen as, as gentle and compassionate with others, he's oftentimes uh, harsh with this group because of the way they lead people astray. The Pharisees come together was clearly to make a, a plan, to plot against him. And they're trying to be uh, tactful about it. They wanted, they wanted to make him say something that would make him look bad before the crowds. In verse 35, one from the group of the Pharisees, he's sent forward to ask the question. He's called this, this expert in the law. Uh, the law meaning, uh, it would have been meaning like, uh, the, at least for the first five books of the, the Bible, he would have been an expert of that. And so uh, you might say that while some had their bachelors or masters uh, understanding the Old Testament, this guy, he's got his PhD. He knows it all. The Pharisees, they trusted this guy to, to trip up Jesus. One might say they sent out their, their ace to challenge him, to try who, Jesus, who's proven to be a tough out. So this expert, he brings forth a question worthy be to consider. What is the greatest commandment in the law? The law here, again, probably refers to the Pentateuch, those first five books in the Bible. The fact that this question is asked probably means that there, were, there was some, some debate about it during Jesus' time. According to rabbinic tradition, there were 613 commandments. 
And we know that over the centuries that Jewish rabbis actually debated over these commands. One commentator said that concerning this question, it would not be an unfamiliar question since rabbis did discuss which commandments were heavy and which were light. And sometimes try to summarize the thrust of the Mosaic law in terms of a key Old Testament text, end quote. And so the question is left hanging in the air to Jesus. What is the greatest or the weightiest of all the commands that were given in the Bible? This, liar, this lawyer, he comes out firing with his best stuff at Jesus. And now he's waiting for his response. That brings us to verses 37 and 38, where Jesus tells him what he believes the greatest commandment is. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So the command Jesus gives tells us to love God. Love oftentimes is conveyed as a feeling or of adoration or devotion to one another. To another. And I think here and in other parts of the Bible, that's, that's right on. We should have feelings, loving feelings toward God. We're not to love him half-heartedly. The command tells us to love him with all of our heart and all of our soul, all of our mind. And now, heart, mind, and soul aren't meant to be dissected so you're, you can say, okay, now I'm thinking good th thoughts about God, so I'm loving him with my mind, or I'm singing a song to him, so I'm loving him with my soul, or, oh, I'm having these warm feelings toward God, so I'm loving him with my heart. If you think of it that way, you're going to miss Jesus' point completely. In the other Gospels, this command is given in, in different ways. And at one point, the, the word uh, strength is added as well. Putting these words together in this way is what the biblical authors in the Old Testament would often do to speak of the whole person. God wants them to love us with all of our being, every part of us, body and soul. And again, I want to emphasize that I do think that love is speaking of feelings, but I also think it speaks of more than that. But I want to show you that. Uh, this commandment that Jesus gives uh, would have been a verse that would have been familiar to most of the common Jews of that day. It's Deuteronomy 6.5. It makes up part of what was called the Shema. The Shema was a portion of scripture that was regularly recited by the Jews. And the whole Shema is Deuteronomy 6.4-9. Let's, let's turn there now. We'll read that together. Deuteronomy 6, that's the fifth book in the Bible. And we'll actually start in verse 1, again, just for the sake of context. Um, and note, before I, before I read that, note that uh, right before this section, Moses actually uh, he has just shared the Ten Commandments with the people of Israel, and he's expressed their need to obey them. So let's hear still, I still hear turning. It's good. All right, great. All right, let's, let's read. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 1. It says, This is the commandment, the statutes and ordinances, the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, so that you may follow them in the land that you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands I'm giving you, your son and your grandson, so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your fathers, 
has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with, with all your soul and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your, your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Now, I'm not going to walk through these verses uh, verse by verse, but I think it's, it's very clear as you walk, as you walk through um, that God is calling his people to know his commands, to follow his commands. For them, for the people here, um, it, it, following it meant that they'd be able to stay in the land. And so it was, it was important that they, that, that they would follow it uh, diligently, that these commands would be in their hearts, that they would teach them diligently to their children. So I think it's safe to say that based on the context, God's people show their love and devotion to God by obeying him. God's people show their love and devotion to him by obeying him. Warm and even passionate feelings alone do not show love to God. So your feelings may cause you to paint a picture for God. It may cause you to want to go take a walk in the woods and to talk to him. Perhaps the songs today have stirred your heart and you find yourself belting them out even more because you can't help yourself. Man, these are, these are all good and valid ways to worship God. I would say we should do them. But if you're doing these things and you're not obeying God and the clear commands in Scripture, then you're not showing real love to God at all. Perhaps you're listening to me today and you're thinking, well, Andrew, that's the Old Testament. We're not under the Old Testament anymore as Christians. So I'm not sure what you're, what you're talking about. I'm not sure you're right about this. You're, you're just a newbie. That's fine. That's fine. If that's you, let me give you some words from Jesus then. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. There, Jesus is, tells us clearly that our love for him is shown by obeying his commands. And the New Testament is clear that Jesus is God. So in loving Jesus, we do love God. Here's another example. One of Jesus' disciples, one who spent much time with him, John the Apostle, says more on this in 1 John 5, 3. There he says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So here's, a, here's another clear verse showing us that a devotion for God is shown by obeying his commands. It is important to remember that we love God through obedience because relying on emotions, I think, can be very dangerous. Our, our feelings can go up and down. Some of us know this better than others. Some of us really struggle with our emotions. We, we even seek help from medical professionals for it. Our feelings for God can go from this high, overflowing love some days to another day we might feel cold and distant toward him. These are, these are real things Christians go through. In the hymn, Come Thou Fount, the songwriter says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The fact that this hymn has been sung for centuries is because God's people can identify with these words. 
There are moments in which we might find ourselves wandering away from God and toward the world and the sinful desires within us. There are moments where we're saying, Lord, please help me. I love you, but my, my heart does not feel inclined towards you at all. Please take my heart, seal it. Don't, don't let me go in directions I shouldn't go in. Lord, please help me. And those are, those are, that's a good, honest, real prayer to pray for God in those moments when we're not feeling close to God, when we're not feeling inclined, when we're not feeling moved toward him. I've been married to my wife, Ruth, for almost eight years now. We've been blessed with, I think, a, a very joy-filled marriage. My, the day I got married was, uh, might be the, the happiest day of my life, uh, filled with tons of emotion, tons of, of feelings. Uh, I, I wept that day. I laughed. Um, and we've had that throughout our marriage. But if, I would say if, if, my, if our marriage was dependent on my feelings toward her, our, our marriage would have been done a long time ago. There are so many moments with her where I'm annoyed, I'm upset, I'm angry with her, and that goes <laughs> the other way as well. Any of you who are married know those feelings. Any, actually, regardless of, of marriage, any of you who've been close to someone else, anyone who's been raised in a family, you've had those feelings toward the people you're close to. But my point is, I know one of the most important ways I show my devotion to Ruth is by fulfilling my, my marriage vows. Those promises I made to, to care for her and to love her, to provide for her no matter what, no matter what we're going through, no matter how good life is and no matter how bad it is. I, I know that no matter how I'm feeling, God calls me to love Ruth with a, the, the, in the same way that Christ loved the church, in a sacrificial way in which I'm willing to, to die for her. So in the way my love and devotion for Ruth is shown in the way I care for her, in a similar way, my love for God is shown in the way that I obey him. In loving God with all our heart, we, we do want to do things that stir our heart for God, of course. That's, that is important. This can fuel our obedience. I think that's what singing worship songs actually does. But knowing myself and many other Christians, we must be careful not to solely rely on feelings. If we do rely too much on feelings, we might find ourselves saying we've fallen out of love with God. Many today in marriages do that. They say, uh, I, I've grown out of love with them. I, I, just, I don't care for them the way I used to and when we first met. Let us as God's people not be guilty of saying that toward him. Let us show our love to God by obeying him. And I would argue that even if we do that, so often, as we, as we act in obedience, those feelings actually follow. They actually get stirred up by our obedience. So then, we then as Christians are still called to love God with all our being. And we do this, I think, primarily by obeying his commands. Now, back to Matthew 22. In verse 38, Jesus calls loving God the greatest and most important commandment. He says this, um, actually in the ESV it says uh, it's the first commandment. And as he's saying that, he's, him saying this is saying this is, again, this is the weightiest of all the commands in the, in the Bible. But by calling it the first, he also sets it up for a second. And this brings us to verse 39. 
Verse 39, Jesus says that the second commandment is like the first. And then he quotes the command to love your neighbor from Leviticus 9.18. This is another commandment from the Pentateuch. So here's another command. But the object of the command is now different. It's the call to love your neighbor. In the context there in Leviticus 19, the neighbor would have been fellow Israelites and also the foreigners who dwelt in the land. If you were to read Leviticus 19, you would see these really practical commands given. I would actually encourage you to read them later. For the sake of time, I, I, won't, I won't read it. Uh, there, the Israelites were commanded not to reap every bit of grain, uh, no fruit, not all of the veggies from the field, but rather they were to leave some there for the poor and the foreigner in the land. They were commanded not to steal or lie, to not withhold money from a hard worker. Uh, they were called not to show favoritism toward the poor or the rich in court. And they were not to hate their neighbor or to bear a grudge against them. This idea of loving neighbor is certainly about not doing harm to others, as we see in these verses, but that's not enough. We also are called to do good toward them. Jesus already taught on this in uh, his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, where he says, starting in Matthew 5.43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus, he says more on this in Luke. In Luke 7, 35 to 36, Jesus says, But love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. These are very challenging words, I think. Loving your neighbor not only entails uh, doing good to others, but even to those who might be regarded as your enemies. Those who might wish to do you harm ought to be the persons that we love at times. And why? Well, of course, because Jesus commands it. But I think especially because Jesus, he shows his kindness toward those who are evil. He's merciful towards those who only deserve his wrath. If you're like me, you feel the weight of these words. They're really, really challenging to put into, into practice as Christians. It's, it's easy to feel bitter and angry toward those who hurt us. But God calls us to love that person. If you're hearing me and a person comes to mind, I would encourage you to pray for that person or those people. Seek ways to, to do good to them. If there's a person in this church or maybe a, a family member who feels like an enemy to you, start there. Go try to be reconciled with them. Perhaps you're, you're thinking of someone at work or at school, maybe someone from a, a different political party that you oftentimes engage with and you just you can't stand them. And I, I, would, I would urge you to pray for a reconciled relationship with that person. And pray for God's blessing upon them. Seek to forgive that person with the Holy Spirit's help, even as God has forgiven you. Find ways to show uh, real kindness to that person so that you may be like your Father in heaven. Let me give you a, a real-life example of this. Many of you uh, probably remember uh, earlier this year, uh, there was a shooting at Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee on March 27th. 
Audrey Hale, a former student of that school, was shot and killed by the police. Um, she, before she died, uh, she had killed three children and three adults. I mean, this was a pretty big news story at the time, and um, obviously it, it devastated the, the families who, who lost those, the loved ones. Um, well, a, a few months later, um, a journalist, Bethel McGrew, uh, she wrote a follow-up story to this. Um, it, it didn't get much attention. It turns out that the families of the victims actually pulled their resources together, and they paid for the funeral of the shooter. The shooter's name again, Audrey Hale. Her parents were Christians, so they, they sent their daughter to that school. Um, and it's what a blessing it is that they didn't have to pay for the, the funeral of their daughter in the midst of all their, all their own suffering and heartache in the midst of this. It's just a, a, a really astounding and beautiful story of Christian love. These families, they weren't obligated to do this. No one, no one forced them to. Some, in fact, actually said it was wrong that they did this. I don't get it, but that's, that's how some viewed that, that situation. But even in the midst of their loss and sorrow, these believers, they showed love to an enemy. And they showed love to, to Audrey's parents, a, a brother and sister in Christ. The author the, ends the article saying this, any good man can forgive, but it is only the Christian who can explain why. And it is only the Christian who has a place to turn to when he must cry out, I forgive, help my unforgiveness. Let these families' examples of, of loving others remind us of what we are called to as Christians. We're called to love our neighbor, even when our, our neighbor is our enemy. Let it remind us of Jesus on the cross, who, when he was pierced and hanging there, looked down upon his enemies and looked back up to his father and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So, again, back to Matthew 22. We'll go to our, our last section there, uh, verse 40. And there we get Jesus' summary of all that he's saying. After Jesus gives his, his answer, he says in verse 40, that all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. That phrase, law and prophets, then refers to the whole Old Testament, no longer just the Torah, no longer just the Pentateuch. And these two great commandments, they give us a summary of what, it all, what it's all about. We can say that all the other commands that are given in the Bible are essentially commentary on how to love God and how to love neighbor. Jesus, he's, he's taken now this expert's question, he's taken his best pitch, and he's knocked it out of the park. And his answer, it, it teaches us much as Christians. These commands, they help us to make sense of the Bible so that we can read it better. You've already heard me quote from Jesus and the Apostle John on what it means to love God. The other, the apostles, um, the early followers, they, they pick up on this command to love neighbor as a key Christian command. Listen to Paul from Romans, Romans 13.9. Paul says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. 
Paul. He quotes from a, a number of the commandments given to us in the Ten Commandments. He's able to summarize, summarize them with the second great command. What na- loving your neighbor looks like is detailed in these commands we have in the Bible. But the underlying principle of, from all of them is loving neighbor. James 2.8 says, if you, really love, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, and he quotes, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. James says this to, again to Christians. He makes clear that the way we fulfill the law, the way we walk in God's commands, is to love our neighbors as ourselves. Paul and James and all the other apostles, they took their lead from Jesus on this. It's what we're called to do. So when you come here on Sunday or you're, you're reading the Bible on your own, it would probably be a good thing to ask God, how, in light of what I'm learning, how might I better love you? How might I better love neighbor? Because God gives his word to us that we might do better do those things. Here's a, Jesus' answer to the Pharisees, they, they show us his mastery of the scriptures. But there's another question I think it might be helpful to consider. Why must these two commands be paired together? It wasn't enough for Jesus to tell us to love God. He, he didn't stop there. He knew that loving neighbor must come with it. I think one reason they come together is because love for God is shown by love for neighbor. It's easy to say you love God while hating those around you. It's easy to post scripture on social media in one moment and then slander someone behind their back. It's easy to greet someone in one moment and then have bitter thoughts for that same person in another. It's easy to offer prayer to someone in need while withholding the material things that they they might need, things that you could give them. 1 John 3, 16 to 18 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Listen to these verses. How do we know God loves us? Because God the Son, Jesus, laid down his life for us. His love is shown in, in sacrificial action toward others. So when we see others in need and, and don't act then what right do we have to say that we love that person? It just become empty words. Also, in 1 John 4, 20 to 21, Apostle John says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, does not love, for, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has not seen, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. It's just another great verse confirming the fact that a true love for God is shown in loving those around us. If you say you love God, but you don't love your neighbor, you're just lying to yourself. So, if you're a believer here today, I hope you've experienced two things. First, I hope you marvel at Jesus and his understanding of the scriptures. I hope you see him as one able to take on even the most learned men, cutting through all their evil intent and teaching them life-giving truth. Marvel at him. Sit at his feet. 
often come ready to better learn from him how to, to better love God and love neighbor. Second, believer, I hope you're challenged. Loving God and loving neighbor is very hard. It requires time in the word to know how to obey. It requires serving others sacrificially like Christ. It requires responding to conviction in our heart. It especially requires the Holy Spirit. And we can't live out God's word without his spirit. So, pre, so pray for help and ask others to pray for you so you can better live out God's word. If you don't know God here, if you, if you come here today without a, a personal relationship to him, then you've already heard me say you can't do these things without God's help. If you don't have a relationship with him, you're not, you're not going to get the help that you need. You can't truly love God and love neighbor without him. If you want a relationship with God, then you must know something first of his love. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. It's God who takes initiative in loving fallen, sinful creatures like you and me. He saw us in our weakness. And he had pity on us. The Gospel of John, uh, John 3.16 says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God the Father, he, he sends his Son, Jesus. And Jesus comes to earth as a human and loved God, and he loved neighbor perfectly. He obeyed all the commandments of his Father without fail. He loved his disciples, the crowds, the sick, the poor, the foreigner, and even the religious leaders who, who ultimately killed him. He perfectly followed God's ways. But everyone else, all of us, we've all fallen short. We've all sinned against God. And the penalty for that sin is death. But if you will trust in Jesus, you'll be forgiven. God will forgive you. Jesus, he takes the penalty for our sins upon himself so that we might be forgiven. He is, he takes that, that guilty verdict upon himself so we can be declared righteous. And that's why he suffered and died on the cross. So that your sins could be dealt with. So that you could have peace with God. Not only this, if, you're gonna, if you trust in Jesus today, you will be given the power to live for God. He will help you by his spirit to love himself and to love neighbor. So I would encourage you, I would urge you, Make Jesus the king of your life today. Submit your life to him, and your life will be forever changed. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we are challenged by your word. I know I am almost every time I come to it. I'm humbled by it because it's, it's, it is hard to walk according to it except it's not if you're helping us. In my own strength, I can't do any of these things, Lord. But we already read before, your, your commands aren't burdensome because you will help us. You will help your followers. You, you, spent, you, you sent your, your son to die for us so that we might have life. And then to those who trust in Jesus, you give us your Holy Spirit so that we can live for you. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. 
Lord, help us, help us today to know better how to love you, to know better how to, to love our neighbors around us. And Lord, as we, as we go today, we pray that these things would not be forgotten quickly, but that they would, again, just burrow themselves deep in our hearts, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.